Dog Pound, all we hear is Purple Podcast. We've gone to war with the Warriors and come out ahead. I'm your not host, Andrew Berg, and back with us on the podcast today is Gaby Lucas after a week away. Gaby, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm good. Uh, I was so sad to not be... I don't know how to... I'm not a good actress. I'm gonna level with you. I... Not only kind of forgot I was supposed to do this last week up until I told you guys, oh, right, I'm not going to be here. I forgot until about noon today that we had to do this, but I'm happy to be back. Woo! Oh, hey, we're, we're back in the routine. And it's yeah, just yeah. the two of us today. We've gone from three to two, which I think makes us 33% more or less mediocre, which might move us yeah. around in the mediocrity Husky football podcast rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, but it's we, that we the remain, right there. yeah, yeah, we, I'm, I don't have the advanced analytics. Max isn't with us tonight, but he's keeping tabs on that. Um, especially with Bill Connolly away from SB Nation now, Max is kind of in charge of keeping track of where we are in the mediocrity rankings. Yeah, but even with just the two of us, we remain the official podcast of the Cody Pickett fan club, who, indeed. as I'm finding out now, is not going to be joining us tonight, but ah, we'll get by. Yeah, I really was hopeful that he would somehow end up on this uh, call, but it didn't work out. Well, let's just jump into it, talk a little bit about the Hawaii game. Offense looking back on track after a poor performance against California. Uh, Jacob Eason looked a lot sharper. He involved Hunter Bryant, leading receiver on the night. Huka Nakua caught his first career catch, touchdown, everything at the same time. What did you think? What stood out to you, particularly in the passing game, Gaby? Um, yeah, I I wrote about this a little bit in what is for us now today's stuff and shenanigans, what will be for the listeners yesterday's stuff and shenanigans, because that's how time works. Uh, a, just I don't really trust anyone right now other than Hunter Bryant to get any reasonable separation. Uh, that being said, I trust him with my life, probably. But, I mean, even, even like, Aaron Fuller's touchdown catch, he had a, a, a cornerback, I think it was for Jesterman Ferris for Hawaii, uh, like, right on his hip. And that was after, what was it, like, almost 30 yards? Um, mm-hmm. you're, I hate, I, I hate being really critical of children, effectively. Um, because it's not like you're talking about the NFL players and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it, that's not a great sign when even against what should be an overmatched secondary, uh, you're not really consistently producing any noticeable separation. I mean, cause that touchdown, for example, was all on Eason. Like that was, I think there was maybe two inches between the defensive back's fingers and where the ball was. It was just perfectly placed. Um, and I didn't really see any significant separation from Bocelli either. Uh, Nakua's route was, I mean, I hope he, he gets more into, into things. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this is kind of more of the same 
that it just happened to be against an opponent that couldn't generate any pass rush. So Easton just kind of, you know, could do what he could do, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, was, that's kind of my like main issue. There was kind of a, a combination of factors, like you were saying, that Easton didn't have a lot of pressure, so he could throw receivers open better than he could against Cal. Yeah, and then at sense. the same time, they didn't have the physical, fast defensive backs Cal had who could affect the receivers in the same way. I feel like we're going to be seeing a lot of that same calculation through the year. Yeah. Do the defensive backs on the other team have the athleticism and the physicality to knock Fuller and Bacelli off their routes? And is Eason able to get enough time to put the ball up? exactly where it needs to be to get those guys open. I guess the antidote to that would be using these other guys and making, as Chris Peterson likes to say, being multiple and having Bryant and Otten and Nakua. And if we can get our running backs in the passing game a little bit more and maybe see a little bit more of Austin Osborne, who now has seen the field and has career negative two receiving yards, he probably <laughs> wants to see another catch down the road so he can get that back into positive territory. Are can you surprised also, at all? Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, can we take a moment to appreciate this is the only time in both of our respective lives where we have more receiving yards than Austin Osborne. So like, yeah, that's true. And moment well. of truth. I don't want to be mm-hmm. histrionic, but that means I'm better than Austin Osborne. That's, wink, cr- wink, that's correct. We're tied yeah. in uh, touchdowns. Yeah. We're yeah, ahead so, in yardage. Yeah, not to be... I just want to take take this moment to appreciate it because it's not going to last long. Uh, and I'm feeling feisty and superior right now. Anyways, go on. I <laughs> totally interrupted you for something that's totally not productive. I think it's it's fair to, to not want to criticize Aaron Fuller for running a poor route, but smashing Austin Osborne's face into the dirt for catching a ball and then getting tackled. <laughs> I yeah. was I was going to ask, were you a little surprised that we didn't see more of Nakua after that touchdown catch? I Maybe it was out of, there was just no need to, to use him after that? Or was, I, was, I thought he'd at least be on the field more than he was. I, um, I haven't looked at, I know Max was, Max does the snap, snap charts. Was, I didn't, really see him on the field after but I don't know if that was a matter of just me not noticing him I know he was on the field for a, for a, at least a handful of plays before that catch though um and yeah to be fair I guess I guess my answer is yes um but but I think it's more just a matter of of you know you're not really going to expect a young guy like that um necessarily to get a crap load of snaps anyway but yeah, I, I suppose I I definitely expected to see a little bit more of him since that was what second quarter. Yeah, that would have been yeah, second quarter. Yeah. Was that or the twenty? The, quarter even. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, because he caught the touchdown that put us at twenty-one points, I believe. Right. Either way, point being, yeah, yeah it was second quarter. Yeah, I, I guess I I introed that answer sounding like I the answer is no, but yeah, my answer is yes, I suppose. Yeah, I maybe maybe it's just. You know, you you use what you need to win the game, and once you get ahead by thirty points, you can kind of scale back, and that's when we see more yeah. of kind of the traditional the vanilla offense. Yeah. On the other hand, though, it's like, isn't that kind of when you want to want to show those young guys, including Puka, to get get kind of more of that? But yeah, I suppose. I mean, you could tell them the second half they kind of eased up a bit. Yeah. Well, there's uh, other elements to that offensive attack as well as good as Eason looked. 
we saw more of the three-headed running back monster. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it was probably even more uh, evenly split than we've seen before between Ahmed Newton and McGrew. And it's interesting how their styles complement each other so well. I know you were commenting about that during the game. What What is yeah. standing out to you right now that, that's most exciting about it? Well, I think in general, I was expecting... I was expecting Miles Gaskin's presence, or lack thereof, I suppose, to be one of those. I was expecting, even though we were all so sad and, oh no, how is this, you know, is this, is this running attack gonna match what he could do last year? I, I, he, in my mind, was maybe one of those people that we still weren't appreciating enough. And I'm really kind of surprised in general that even though it is by committee, which in my mind, that's not a negative at all. I think that's the same for most people. Um, I'm surprised that the running game has been able to be pretty darn, like, everyone who's been involved has looked pretty good for the most part. Um, and yeah, kind of similar to what you th- your your gut is, that the combination, or the complementary styles of Newton and Ahmed and McGrew, I think, really work well together just as far as being able to keep defenses honest. And because I think a lot of times we like to look at an offense as a dichotomy between passing game and running game, but even within the running game, there's so many different factors that you can um, that that go into it, whether that's blocking schemes or just the style of running backs. Um, and so I think, yeah, involving all of those guys, and then that's not even speaking about durability. I mean, that's just better for all of them as far as their health. Uh, what I mean, what is that kind of your main main takeaway, or what what are you thinking? I, I am feeling the same way. I think there have been individual things that each of them have done that have impressed me. Uh, McGrew stood out in this game how well he's evading the initial tackler. He's so small that he seems like somebody who'd be he's tough so to small. catch in space <laughs> and be slippery. But it's more than yeah. that because he can get up to the line, even running between the tackles and slide through the first couple hits and stay on his feet. And f- things that I typically associate with kind of a bigger bruising power back. And he's doing those as an extremely small back. Uh, Newton, I've been impressed with seeming to have a pretty good uh, ability, kind of a a prodigal ability to identify holes and and get to the line quickly for somebody who's as young as he is. He kind of has that, like Gaskin did, an evolved sense of how and where to run to my eyes. And yeah. and Ahmed obviously he showed again he's he's more of the home run threat he had a forty plus yard run and having that in your back pocket just having the ability to make an expl- explosive play is extremely exciting I mean I I grew up Barry Sanders is my favorite player to watch and just having a running back who can do that is super exciting yeah. to me um, yeah for sure. how about hey, you mentioned earlier how how the Pass protection was solid for most of the game. There were a few penalties on the offensive line. I think Sermon, uh, I'm sorry, Kirkland had two holding penalties, yeah, if I'm remembering had correctly. The holding that took away um, the Richard Newton Wildcat run. Um, I think Adam, I think was it Trey Adams had a false start. Either way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Altogether, I would say solid offensive line play. Probably not the toughest test they'll face in any of their games, but yeah. still, I, I don't have any complaints. Kind of held serve. Yeah, it was the definitely... Thing... Oh, go on. Well, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit. We we're kind of getting into the things that maybe didn't go perfectly in that okay. game. And 
chief among them was the swoon in the third quarter where Hawaii briefly made it look like it might be a game again. They cut the lead from 38-7 to, or from 38-0 to 38-20, going back to the end of the first half and into the second. And suddenly they were running the ball kind of at will and converting third downs constantly. And back-to-back 14-play. And fourth downs, right. Yeah, and getting into fourth and one, fourth and two, and going for it and converting. They had back-to-back 14-play drives and in touchdowns. Is this a symptom of our defense just not being as dominant as it's been in other years? Or was that kind of a fluke in the third quarter when we're rotating guys in and things like that? I I think my gut is that it's a combination of a lot of factors. Uh, One of the the things, though, or there's a couple of things I'm reminding myself. One is that Hawaii is a good offense. Like, that is their thing. Objectively, they're really good at that. Um, that being said, yeah, by the eye test, you watch a lot of those drives in the third quarter and it isn't really that, you know, you don't come away feeling that great about it because, um, a lot of it is just them being really efficient, if not explosive. Um, the, the one thing is that I just keep reminding myself just for my own mental health as a fan, because I don't want to, and I don't want to come away from every game being depressed. Because I know how the growth of a young team works, especially a young defense like this, is um, there. Yeah, there's going to be growing pains like that. And I think the third quarter was a combination of, yeah, they were pretty liberally rotating in um, kind of depth players. But even even so, even with the stuff that we saw against Cal and against Eastern, for example, that, that long pass that um, was the result, touchdown that was the result of the Cam Williams uh, poor-ish angle, is that um, we know that this is a defense that is going to have growing pains, especially the first half of the year. Um, But that also means that it's a defense that we have precedent to believe is going to be making a lot of progress over the course of the year, too. So it makes sense that, yeah, you're going to watch a game like this or a quarter like that or Cal and note a lot of things to improve on. Um, the thing that isn't super great is that some of the things to improve on, like a lot of the main stuff, was by seniors, particularly mm-hmm. in the inside linebackers, because that's where you have the most reason to believe the ceiling has kind of already been met. Um, but as far as the secondary and the, uh, you know, the defensive interior, um, yeah, that's kind of the things I keep reminding myself of, even though, yeah, third qu- quarter, not super fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry, that was super long-winded, and I hate myself right now. <laughs> no, I think I, it's encapsulating a lot of the same questions I'm asking myself. I think you hit the two main points that I wonder about as well, one of them being, well, yes, this is a young team. It should improve over the course of the year. The other one being a combination of, well, what about where we're not young and we're still struggling? Or yeah. what specifically do we want to see them do differently? Not just Wellington and uh, Manu, but just in general, what do we... I, I think there are a few players who have been excellent, kind of beyond reproach so far. Miles Bryant, especially this week, was just outstanding. Yeah. I think Elijah Molden, for the most part, yeah. has been really, really positive. Uh, even for the most... Keith Taylor made a mistake here and there, He's I, I, he isn't the same kind of shutdown corner who you can't complete a pass against, but he tackles well, he covers well. Hopefully he'll pick off a couple yeah. balls here and there. And so on down the line. 
I, the thing I do worry about is that linebacking core. And are yeah, we going to see different, different players grow into the roles over the course of the year? Or is it going to be game planning to design around the weaknesses that we have? Or are we just going to keep seeing the same thing where teams that don't run the ball very well average four and a half yards a carry or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, Oh, go. Oh, I just say only time will tell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have an answer to that yet. And it probably speaks a lot to what, how, what the ceiling of the team really is. Cause if they, if we do develop and get somewhere close to where we were defensively the last couple of years, probably a contender for another Rose bowl. If we don't, this might be more like an eight win season. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far, but I mean, there's always a possibility, especially with the amount of like high, mid, high level teams that it looks like there are in the Pac-12 that can play spoiler. Um, but I think the back to the inside linebackers, um, there aren't really that other than the receivers under Brent Keyes' recruiting. I feel like there aren't that many or any positions really on this team that have been the victim of roster mismanagement, except for this one. Um, whether that's, you know, Ben Burkirvin probably should have been redshirted his first year. And if we had him on this team, for example, Cal, UW wins against Cal, almost certainly. Um, yeah. And also the fact that you have a redshirt, se- or a redshirt senior, a senior, and then everybody else is either redshirt or true freshman. Um, and the fact that, for example, a true freshman in Josh Calvert gets out, is out for the season, and that shouldn't have an impact but it does um, is something that I think there's a very real reason to look critically at the management of that position. Um, And usually, you know, I'm going to give a coaching staff like what Peterson assembles the benefit of the doubt, but that's not a really great look. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I, I will make half half of an excuse in that I don't think they – we're expecting DJ Beavers to medically retire. I don't know all the circumstances behind Camilo Eifler's transfer, but he's playing regularly at inside linebacker for a Big Ten team now. What would certainly help our depth. And then, you know, yeah. the one that I really don't like revisiting and thinking about is Alan Cahill. Yeah, yeah. Oh. for sure. Yeah. And that's like, Moving there's on. nothing anyone could have done about that. But there's other right. stuff that you could stock up to make sure that you don't find yourself in these positions. Anyways, right. on. Yeah. let's and not talk yeah. about depression. I, I did, speaking of something happier, I did want to give a quick shout out to somebody who I, I, not that he really cares, but I was probably pretty hard on last year in Peyton Henry. It looks like he just got a scholarship today, yes. uh, middle of his second second season, yeah. uh, got uh, taken off of the walk-on status, given a scholarship. He's been awesome. He's six for six. We probably glossed over his field goal kicking where he's four for four against Cal because nobody wanted to talk about the fact that we couldn't score touchdowns, but he yeah. made a 49 yarder. He was, he nailed the chip shot again against Hawaii. He's perfect on extra points. And the fact that we have Tim Horn on kickoffs, booming it into the end zone takes away one of the things that was giving me heartburn about Henry. So this year it's been all good things and super happy. He got the scholarship. Yeah. Same. I love, I mean, I wrote like an ode to Tristan Vizcano two years ago. There was just like 1,500 words on why I still love him, even though this was, uh, actually, I think this was right after the Utah game where he did make it. Um, and so there's, even with, you know, Peyton Henry's past being 
honestly an average college kicker, but an average college kicker is still terrible. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and with real, some I, high leverage problems. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely, I hope this just becomes a year where he just destroys it because there's nothing more heartbreaking than watching a kicker just not get it all together, um, especially because so many people don't understand kicking or the recruitment of kick it, of kickers uh and like the the it's just an it's an insane position and it's an insane position to move up from a level whether it's high school to college or college to nfl i mean it's pretty much just a crapshoot on whether or not you're good um so yeah i'm very happy for him yeah well with that we're going to go into the best part of the show an ad Woo! my favorite Welcome back from that ad. Hope it was a good ad. Sure it was. We're going to talk a little bit about the... (laughs) What's that? Oh, I said, I hope it was the best ad ever. Yeah, it probably was. Period. Yeah, there's one of those Super Bowl quality advertisements. Over a million dollars for that spot. But for your ears. Which we're not seeing any of. Yeah. (laughs) But let's talk a little BYU. Uh, We've got kind of a sneaky, tough game coming up in Provo. Maybe it's not sneaky. Maybe it's just straight up tough. They just beat USC uh, at home. Uh, they had more success in that game passing than running, which is weird. You think of, at least for me, I think of BYU teams, they've pretty traditionally been all running offense. Even the week before they beat Tennessee, it was, they kind of split it between passing and running, but they made the comeback late in the game. It was mostly aerial. Do you think we're going to see more of that this week? Or do you think they're going to game plan for what's been our defensive weakness so far in the run game? I honestly have no I'm so confused about BYU whenever they are anything other than a bunch of 26 year old just like huge Mormons um that just shove it down your throat and cross their fingers um so I, I I wish I could have more insight into this I honestly haven't looked that much at their offense or I shouldn't admit this defense either since I'm, I'm writing the defensive preview and two days or that'll be up in two days or one day uh but i mean i i feel like i don't know i don't really know what to think of i mean tennessee is ass uh usc i don't know what to think of them yet so i think i'm kind of in holding mode on byu in general um i don't know what what's your gut here well i i you know we have some evidence on byu because they don't have a bunch of like Sacramento State or Eastern Washington games on their schedule. They've played three mm-hmm. real teams. They hosted Utah. Yeah, for they sure. played at Tennessee. They hosted USC. Uh, they got beat up pretty badly by Utah in a game they typically, you know, is usually very close. They yeah. snuck out of Tennessee. I think it was a three point win. And then they beat USC in overtime. So those last two games. They won them, and they get credit for that. They're kind of coin flip games. Those are games that can go either way. Both of those were overtime wins, actually. So I, I, I give them credit for that. But they have these weird stat lines where they're 2-1 and one with two pretty notable wins, but they've been outscored by a lot on the year. They've mm-hmm. given up a lot more yardage than they've allowed, or they've given up a lot more yardage than they've gained. Their rush defense has been pretty poor across the board. There, It seems like this is different, like we were saying, from a traditional BYU just hit you in the mouth style of team. Mm-hmm. If we approach it like we would the old Tyler Mangum teams and we'd pack the box and, and expect to play faster than them, it's probably going to feel a little strange. So I, I think yeah. the game's ultimately going to come down to, we're going to be able to run the ball. 
Are we going to be able to finish drives in the red zone? I don't think we're going to be able to shut them out or hold them under 10 points or anything like that. And I think it's going to really come down to, like we were talking about earlier, is this one of those games where our starting receivers get manhandled and taken out of the game by more physical defensive backs? Or will Jacob Eason be able to kind of spread it around and make different uh, passing threats productive in our passing offense? Yeah. And I think for what it's worth, I think this year's BYU team could, I mean, they could very well be a really good team, but I also wouldn't be shocked if this is kind of a repeat of last year, you know, where they beat Wisconsin. Everyone's like, ah, shit, BYU super great. And then we're all kind of freaking out a bit about it. And then, uh, you know, and then UW smacked them around, what, 35 to seven or whatever. Um, I'm not saying that's gonna happen. Um, but I wouldn't be totally shocked, uh, you know, either way, uh, if it's kind of a higher scoring version of that. Um, but I also wouldn't be, yeah, I guess I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it is a really close one either. Um, but the more I think about it, and especially the more I think about the fact that Tennessee is terrible, um, the more I feel kind of all right about it, you know? Yeah, that's I think that's guess. fair. And, and the win over USC, too, was I, I got to watch a good chunk of that game. It was Slovis having some significant growing pains. He's a really good yeah, player, but he's a freshman, and he's he made some pretty bad mistakes in that one. And, and USC probably should have won the game anyway. They kind of blew it at the end. I, I think altogether yeah. we're favored, depending on where you look, between somewhere between six and seven points. I would pick us to win. I think it'll be right in that neighborhood. I think it'll be... You know, we'll score somewhere in the 20s. They'll score somewhere in the high teens. Um, and obviously, with, with a game like that, a couple things go the wrong way. It can swing the whole game. You know, if a fumble bounces into their arms instead sure, of ours, sure. something like that. So it's not one of those games like the one last week where there is a margin for error. And hopefully yeah. we see all these little things, all these little focal points turn up in our favor. Yeah. And I, I think for what it's worth, I mean, yeah, their offense is a little bit more potent than we're used to, but I mean, they still only scored 26, or sorry, excuse me, 29 and 30 points against Tennessee and USC in overtime. So that's not even regulation. In overtime. And then yeah. the only yeah. really good defense they've faced so far has been Utah, and that was 12. Um, yeah. You know, I guess you take so, out the overtime, they had 16 against uh, Tennessee, which is not a very impressive number yeah. either. So, so even with UW's growing pains there, and I feel like I'm really tempting face saying this, so I'm, I I don't want to get murdered by a bunch of Husky fans in, if things go south, which now I feel like I'm tempting fate even more. Okay, I should stop. Um, but yeah, even with UW's defensive growing pains, I mean, they're still a really good defense overall compared to most college defenses, um, especially consider- compared to Tennessee for sure and uh, in USC as well. Um, you know, I think we're probably going to see a closer score to I mean, somewhere in between there. I don't think they're going to, it's not like BYU is all of a sudden going to light up what, you know, they couldn't do it against, against their last two. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just yeah, think I that's think worth that's remembering. Right. Yeah. You know what's really disappointing? I, I looked on two different websites so far, and none of them have listed the ages of the players on the BYU roster. They only list the class is- year. It's really disappointing. Blasphemy. Honestly, if they had what that the old blasphemy. player on the team was, I'm sure it's they have somebody in there, at least in their late twenties. Do they have anyone who is alive in the eighties? <laughs> Counterpoint. I bet 
the oldest person on their team didn't do a mission because I bet the oldest person on their team is a drunk Australian, my favorite kind of Australian, uh, who is like 32. Because I, get I to have that that's BYU just like too? a is meme. That, is that like a, a disadvantage of being a... Religious schools don't get to recruit the jacked 34-year-old Australian, Australian construction workers. Yeah. I I love that so much. This, that's my favorite thing about college football now is just all the, the tatted up 30-year-old Australians that are like, I can kick a ball 4,000 yards. I don't know what action that's supposed to be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I really hope BYU has one too. Yeah. I, I think Miami is the one. Miami has the one who's who's insane. Yeah. Arms are completely covered in yeah. very uh, large tattoos. He's very fun to watch. Yeah. And he's actually a very good punter as well. Um, I've been a proponent for the last year or two uh, that it should American punters like you shouldn't that shouldn't be allowed. You should only be allowed Australian punters because they're superior to us at everything involving kicking things. So, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Or at least some kind of rule where it doesn't count yeah. against your scholarship limit or something. You just get to have as many of them yeah. as you want and they get yeah. paid. Like, sorry, race Porter. <laughs> yeah. We love you, but you're off the team. Yeah, unfortunate. Uh, we might as well jump in and talk a little bit about the rest of the Pac-12. It's kind of an interesting week because we're up to six ranked Pac-12 teams now, which is the most of any conference at the moment. In addition to UW, Oregon's ranked, Wazoo's ranked, Cal. Utah, Arizona State, Utah's the highest rank. Uh, Cal and Arizona State are just kind of uh, just barely hanging out at the bottom of the top 25, as are we right now. Who among that group are you most surprised by, and who would you pick as your conference favorite at the moment? Um, I can't say I'm really that shocked about any of them. I, I was kind of vocal about this in the preseason or in the you know, offseason that I could see how being not terrible um or at least being a, enough of a spoiler where they end up you know somewhere around where they are um asu kind of similar i don't think they're going to stick around for a super long time once uh conference plays but i could see them kind of hopping in and out of the rankings um i i still think it probably comes down to uw oregon or U, utah if if oregon and uw play closer to their floors and their ceilings um, but especially UW, then I think Utah could definitely do it. Um, and I also, for what it's worth, you know, Wazoo at this point, you you can't really assume that they're going to take a step back um, because they overachieve given their talent level every year. Um, their system works really well for them, obviously, Anthony Gordon. Um, not only does he not suck, he's probably pretty all right. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to put Wazoo down as they're going to win it, but it wouldn't blow my mind, you know. Yeah, they had an interesting game with Houston last week who, again, you can't really do the transitive pro- property thing, but Houston got housed by Oklahoma earlier in the year, basically played off yeah. the field. And then uh, they had a very close game with Wazoo, although Wazoo kind of had it under control and very uncharacteristically kind of took their foot off the gas pedal in the fourth quarter, controlled yeah. the ball a little bit. But it wasn't – they weren't – it was, they didn't have Houston at their will. They they weren't just dominating them. And it was in Houston at the NFL stadium. So it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest game. I, I'm not sure about them. I still feel pretty good about, ooh. Every time we start talking about Cat 18, we talked about BYU, and now we're talking about Wazoo. And any time we talk about Cat so loud. meowing very loudly. I'm going to go in the back. 
I'm gonna go in the back where we can't hear my freaking cat. He's the loudest thing in the start world. talking about uh, like go the Carolina Panthers, Jacksonville Jaguars. My house is really small, so I can't run away. From well, it's probably it time to stop going. talking about uh, cat-based teams, since every time we talk about BYU yeah. or Wazoo, the cat starts interrupting us and trying to weigh in with yeah. its own thoughts. And we definitely can't talk about Gardner Minshew and the Jacksonville Jaguars because the cat's going to go wild talking about that as well. Yeah. For, just so if any listener wants a visual of what's going on right here, my house is pretty small. I've locked myself in the bathroom to prevent my cat from seeing me and just going nuts. Um, he tried following me in here and I just pushed his arthritic body out, um, which I never thought was a sentence that would come out of my mouth. But here we are. Uh, well, we're, anyways, we're, yeah, moving on. What's up? Well, now we're going to talk about Stanford, so hopefully you don't have any nearby trees that are going to start making tree noises, uh, whatever those are. You live in a forest, uh, too, so... That's tough. Uh, they, Stanford looked pretty bad against UCF. Coming into the year, they were definitely in that mix that we were just talking about with Oregon and UW in the North as potential favorites for the division. Do you think they can get back there? KJ Costello played this week. Walker Little's out for the year. Do they have any chance to to make noise in the North? I don't know. I mean, for so long, they've been a team where I never want to count them out. You know, they, even when they have quote-unquote down years, I mean, their floor with their coaching staff and their recruiting is pretty darn high. Um, and especially this year, because, I mean, yeah, sure, they lost some, some significant players uh, on defense. Um, but, you know, with like Joey Alfieri and I think Bobby Okarike and stuff. But, but with, with, KJ Costello, I mean, I kind of just instinctively trusted what he was going to run, you know, back there. And I mean, it's not like I didn't consider that other parts of the team matter, but it just kind of felt like something they could at least generally pick up where they left off. Um, I don't think I'd ever... When was the last time you saw a Stanford score that looked like as much of a beatdown, at least on the, in, the, in the stat sheet, as, as UCF? Because I don't can't really remember the last time something like that happened. It's been strange because they, I always say kind of like what you were just saying, that even if things are going great for Stanford, you know they're going to be tough on both lines of scrimmage. They'll probably keep the game close. If things aren't going their way, they'll default back to the run the football and play defense model. And over the last two weeks, they've given up 45 points two weeks in a row. That was after that weird game yeah. against Northwestern the first week where nobody could move the ball at all. But yeah. Maybe this is just, and that that's kind of what makes me feel worse about their chances to get back into the race, or maybe better from a sure, UW sure, perspective. Definitely. Just that they, they yeah, don't have what that what they've previously had to fall back on, and ironically, it's kind of Cal who is playing the Stanford role right now. They're the team who's yeah. defending like crazy, uh, making it really hard to move the ball, and then when they have it, they just kind of take care of the ball and run it and and try to grind out. 20 to 14 wins. Yeah. It, this is, it's such a weird sentence to say that. It feels really strange, all things considered. It is. It's, it's absolute flip of, and we're just a couple years removed from Sonny Dykes doing the exact opposite at Cal. They just throw the ball like crazy, yeah. but don't really score a lot of points and play absolutely no defense. And Justin Wilcox has flipped that 180 degrees very, very quickly. Do you, do you think in regards to Stanford, so I've been kind of wondering this for the last couple of years where they, they were kind of hovering around a good team, but not, you know, not necessarily um, able to be 
conference contenders. Do you think Randy Hart retiring had anything to do with that? Because that keeps coming up in the back of my mind where it felt like him retiring has kind of, maybe it just coincided with their problems. And as we know, uh, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> on the, pretty much that it doesn't mean that there's, there's, you know, it's not necessarily the causation of everything, but it, it kind of is just this thing that keeps nagging me in the back of my head that maybe he was more of a, of an, had more of an impact there than we even realized. Maybe. I'm always a little skeptical about the stories about a super impactful position coach, just one guy. Yeah, they, you talk about him too. Whatever the guy's name with the Patriots, Skarneka, Dante Skarneka, or whatever his name is, the offensive line coach, and they, oh, yeah. they give him so much credit for the, Tom Brady. I, I think that's, I, 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 maybe it's true. I'm, I'd have to see a lot of evidence to believe it. I, I am in a yeah. weird spot where I was expecting Stanford to kind of level off, maybe remain in that fringe top 25, seven or eight win a, wins a year bracket after Harbaugh left and then Andrew Luck left eventually. And it doesn't happen at all. They've, they've, David Shaw's been yeah. as successful as Harbaugh, but maybe they're moving into another phase where they have to, you know, they've tried to become more offensively versatile and maybe getting away from that identity has hurt them a little bit, especially with the way that they have limitations in their ability to recruit anybody in the world. So uh, maybe this is, well, it's also two games. They, they may bounce back next week and, and win six in a row or something. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Right now, I'm not super impressed by Stanford, and I'd be pretty surprised if they turned it around and finished with a, certainly with a winning record in conference this year. Yeah, that's kind of my gut, too. And normally, if it was just two losses, I wouldn't, you know, anyone can lose twice. Who cares? But it was kind of the nature of those losses. Um, and to a USC team who we don't necessarily know if they don't suck yet. Um, and UCF, which is, you know, one of probably the best group of five team. But they still have a talent disadvantage over Stanford. And Stanford's typically good. So just seeing how lopsided those are relative to what we're used to seeing from Stanford is definitely making me think, you know, who just question kind of the what's going to happen with the rest of their season and how successful they really can make it. Yes. Um, and you mentioned USC, not sure that they don't suck. The evidence that they don't suck so far is that they've whooped Stanford. So the very circular logic there. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll need more than three yeah, games totally. to reach final conclusions on some of the teams, I suppose. Before we wind up, let's get into our recommendations and plugs section. Uh, I'll, I'll jump yeah. in first and I'll, I'll let you uh, prepare. I know you have a more uh, robust touring schedule than me just going to a show every now and then. But I did. I mentioned last week that we were going to see uh, How Did This Get Made live at the Moore Theater, which was very funny. And the reason it was so funny in this case was that they reviewed a movie called uh, Fateful Findings, which I'd never heard of before. Uh, it's by this real estate agent who became somewhat wealthy, although I don't think he would need to be all that wealthy to make this movie in Las Vegas. His name is Neil Breen, and he just decided to make a movie. But it's the most bizarre, disjointed, nonsensical movie with goes in a hundred different directions. It involves uh, superpowers, a magical stone a guy who's writing best-selling books to cover up for the fact that he's actually hacking into corporations to reveal their great secrets. 
And there's several suicides, most of them not at all connected to the main plot. There's a teenager who's hitting on a 70-year-old man. It's If you've ever seen The Room, like dial back the sensibility of that movie by like 90 degrees, it's definitely the worst movie I've ever seen. It's somehow almost two hours long. And it's really hard to stop watching. It's fascinating. It's bizarre. And it's really, really interesting. Name is Fateful Findings. That, and the guy's name is Neil Breed. That sounds beautiful. Slash awful. Yeah, um, I think that those are the two I, best ways to describe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this Why is the, the one-sentence synopsis of it. A boy develops amazing mystical powers and uses them as an adult to hack government databases. I wouldn't have got to that from the movie at all. <laughs> that is not what I took like, away from this. Was just a, this was just a two-hour music video for Weezer's Island in the Sun. What are you talking about? That's <laughs> probably closer to what I would have expected. <laughs> um, okay, my suggestion. Um, you know what? Okay, my first one, I'm going to give it one that I recommend to everyone in the world. Um, but... The asterisk is, I don't know if it's still playing when I'm going to tell you it is playing, Um, but the first Saturday of every month at the Pocket Theater, um, there's a show called Book Club, which is uh, these two very funny um, comics, and they kind of play, it's improvised, and I should let everyone know that I am completely biased against improvisers, but they're because bad improv is the worst thing in the world, but they're so good and so funny and so talented and pretty much the old premises. Um, imagine two like upper class Bellevue white moms uh, drinking uh, much wine and discussing a book that they have not prepared for um, over the course of an hour. And it's, uh, go to it, please. Um, and then in case that is no longer running, every first Saturday of the month at the Pocket Theater in Greenwood. Um, every Thursday, there's a weekly show at the Pocket uh, called Off the Top. Um, I am there every once in a while, but, you know, who cares? That doesn't matter. Um, it's a improvised stand-up show. You will get some people that are not very good, and then you'll get some people that are great. Um, and that's run by another great person and a UW grad, but uh it's yeah it's a super great super great show go to that it's fun the end sounds great according to the internet the next two things at the pocket theater are the clayton ballard murder night which i assume is not just like a group of people getting together to murder clayton ballard and weedini the marijuana I don't know. <laughs> which i'm probably not going to go speak. yeah in, <laughs> in general the pocket theater is a great place um so yeah but man seriously book club is the shit Go see it. Um, if it's not on every the first Saturday of every month because they're doing a residency, I think they might still. Um, then it, I'm sure, is on other plate or other times slash days of the week um, because it's been going forever and is awesome. Um, so yeah, figure that out. The dates I gave are wrong. Excellent. Well, with that, we're wrapping it up. Yes. We're just days away from the BYU game, and from then, full conference season. It's an exciting time. Let's hope the Huskies can stay on track with what they did against Hawaii, bring that into Utah. In the meantime, uh, we do now have functional uh, podcast subscriptions 
So it's not going to be such a chore to download and listen to the podcast. You can listen to us on Stitcher or Spotify or Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or Google or probably a bunch of other podcast apps as well. Gaby's cat is very excited about this news. The cat's telling us there are other cat-based podcast cat apps so loud. encouraging you to download. I finally Ooh. left the bathroom and he's so loud. <laughs> he's a very excited cat. He's probably going to be cheering for the Cougars, unfortunately. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Have a great week and go dogs. Go dogs. Oh my God, my cat. <laughs> <laughs>